Thanks for joining us for Life Community Church. How's everyone? How's everyone doing? All right. Yeah, that's right. So whenever I started here, um, it was funny because someone said, oh, we get a laugh. Greg's preaching. And I was like, do I take that as a compliment or is that, do I take that a different way? So uh, just to let you know, Dan and Liz, they're up in Chicago. Uh, Liz is actually uh, running um, the uh, Chicago Marathon today. So they're up there enjoying a time. They went up over the weekend with their family and stuff. So hopefully she's, I don't know where she is right now. Like she's, I'm, I'm sure she's on the course and stuff. So, so um, I kind of wanted to get into this by uh, just talking about some of the things that I look at. Usually I, I have so many Christian podcasts and magazines um, that I subscribe to. So when I was the interim pastor before uh, Dan and Liz uh, came to this church, we were really privileged and just an answer to prayer to have them here. But I, I remember before that, uh, so I signed up for like Christianity Today, and then once you sign up for that, you get all these other magazines and stuff like that. And then you get all these other podcasts and stuff and all these emails and stuff. And so there's some of those that I follow, some blogs and some podcasts and stuff. But the thing that I've noticed probably within, especially the last about five years, is that I'll be reading and there'll be several articles that start off like that. Let me just read one of them to you. This is from Church Leaders' website, uh, April 12th, uh, 2021. It says, author, former Desiring God contributor. Uh, Desiring God is a, uh, I would say, a website that where they have daily posts for um, devotionals and things like that. Uh, and former philosophy professor at Moody Bible Institute um, and Trinity Evangelical Divinity grad Paul Maxwell announced on Instagram last week that he is not a Christian anymore. You know, And you just hear these things, and it goes on to say Maxwell joins well-known Christians, John Steingart from the band Hawk Nelson or... Joshua Harris is another uh, well-known person um, that have really announced that they no longer are Christians. And I have um, come across so many of these over the past, and I would say about five years that this has happened. Now, um, and I, I look at that, and, and I just got to ask myself, what's, what's going on that People that are in Christian leadership or pe people that we had followed their devotionals and things uh, get to the point where they actually renounce their faith or deconvert. Um, what's going on? And, you know, of course, we've had all of the scandals, you know, within the last 10 years that every once in a while we read about, and it just breaks our heart to hear about some of those things, uh, whether it's um, leadership in a church that's toxic and controlling or some moral failure of a Christian leader. And in the st statistics, if you look at the st statistics in the state of Christian leaving the faith, um, it's not that encouraging sometimes. In 2009, the Pew Research sur Survey indicated that Christians are leaving the faith at five to six times historic rates. And in 2015, they had a study that said for every one convert to Christianity, there are four people leaving the faith. And in 2019, 
the general social survey on religion, and you might have heard this for the first time, uh, the amount of people that marked on that survey none, no religious affiliation, uh, surpassed uh, evangelical um, um, on that survey. And as a matter of fact, it, went, it was 23% um, that would indicate none, no religious uh, affiliation. 70% of them were at one time religious. So what's happening? I mean, you know, we have to, I think, ask the question, what's going on? And a, a couple things I would say. First, what's going on? And then also, what can, what can we do? And those are really the two questions I want to answer today by the encounter that we're going to look at in Scripture. You know, why is it that people go from doubting their faith or doubting some truth in their faith to a term that's thrown around now, it's called deconstruction. So they start looking at what they really believe and then sometimes leading to deconversion to where they actually renounce their faith. You know, what is? I, I think it's something that we as a church body and we as Christians need to take a look at and see uh, first what's causing this, why is that happening, and then also is there something that we can do about it? And so to do that, I want to go to an encounter that was in the New Testament. We're in our series. I think this is the last one of the series. Um, just these experiences that people had encountering Jesus Christ. And so to answer those two questions, I want to look at um, one individual and that individual's disciples that encountered Jesus Christ. And so I want to enter this story by introducing you to a friend of mine, uh, John the Baptist. Okay, you remember John the Baptist? This is the best picture of him that I found, you know, so I read a lot of children's Bibles and videos and stuff. But, but let me just ask you, okay, I'm used to teaching at the university, so I'm going to ask a question and you're, you're going to say, what? You're supposed to just preach at us. No, I'm going to ask you a question. What do you know? How does the Bible describe John the Baptist? Just shout it out. Like, what do you know about John the Baptist? What's that? Hair shirt. So he had clothing made out of camel's hair, right? Hair shirt. Okay, what else do we know about him? Locusts and wild honey. Okay, so he was out in the wilderness, right? Okay, what else? Elizabeth's son. So, and Elizabeth was who? For the extra points? The cousin of Mary. So you remember this, this scene when Mary comes in the presence of Elizabeth and Elizabeth's baby John jumps for joy, you know, of being around Mary and being around uh, Christ, right? Um, what else? What else do we know about John the Baptist? He stirred stuff up, yeah? So he was out, and why do we call him John the Baptist? Yeah, there we go. Okay, yeah, that, that was kind of one of those questions that no one wants to answer because it's like, oh, that's an obvious one, right? <laughs> but thank you for that. So John the Baptist. So think about this. A couple other things about him. He is a prophet. He's kind of that, that last Old Testament prophet that we see that, that's in that transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament, really, in the Bible. And, and he was prophesied about not only in the New Testament as we had, had seen in the New Testament, there was a prophecy to his father and describing John the Baptist. It said this, For he shall be great in the sight of 
the Lord and drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that prophecy was given to his father, Zacharias. And he, this was actually part of a vow that if you look in Numbers chapter 6, this type of vow um, people would take. Both men and women would take this vow, and it's called the Nazarite vow. And it basically had three things in that vow, to abstain from wine and strong drink, to refrain from cutting um, your hair, and so you can see kind of that bushy hair that sometimes you see uh, whenever you see image of, of John the Baptist, and then also uh, avoidance with contact with the dead. And what's neat is I, I'd heard of those things before, and also once your vow is over, there's this process of offerings that you give to the Lord at ending your vow, and you also uh, cut off your hair as that, as that vow has ended. What's neat is part of the offerings that you give is a sin offering, and I, I think it's interesting that one of the offerings that this person that devoted themselves so much that they're looking hairy and you know, doing all these things, um, that they, they needed to re, uh, be reminded that, no, you still need to take care of the sin that's in your life, you know? So I thought that was pretty interesting. Also, we've seen in Isaiah and Malachi, you've probably heard of these things that we're talking about, John the Baptist. He was the voice crying in the wilderness, or in Malachi it says, I will send my message who will prepare the way for the Messiah. All of those things talking about John the Baptist. And he basically has Two messages as he's out in the wilderness, as he's baptizing people. Um, he's baptizing them, and, and his message is to repent, to repent from your sins. And he gives two reasons for doing this. He says, repent for the forgiveness of your sins. And he also says, repent because the kingdom of God is coming. And that's his message out in the wilderness. And he also says while he's out there, look, I am not the one. I'm not the one, I'm baptizing you with water, but there's going to be a greater one, the Messiah that's going to come and baptize you in the Holy Spirit. We see that in Matthew chapter 3. And as a matter of fact, Jesus came, and you remember this scene where Jesus came to be baptized, and this is kind of one of those scenes if you've gone to, to a restaurant with a friend and the bill comes and you, they go, they all, oh, here, let me pay for it. Oh, no, 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 let me pay it. Oh, let me pay for it. And so Jesus and John the Baptist went back, you know, you should baptize me. No, 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 you should baptize me. So they went back and forth like that. And Jesus said, look, I need all righteousness to be fulfilled. And so whenever John the Baptist baptized Jesus, we have this scene where we see the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. We hear the Father's voice saying, this is my son who I love and am well pleased. And then we have Jesus. So we have this wonderful scene of the Trinity there. Um, it's also interesting to note, you know, um, with John the Baptist, and I, and I didn't know this as, until I started studying this, but there's external references to the Bible of John the Baptist. Uh, some of you may have heard of Jos uh, Josephus, who was a historian. He was a historian that was kind of hired by the Romans or the the, uh, the Roman uh, Caesar, um, to be able to uh, write a history of the Jewish people around the, just after the time of Christ, right around 100 AD. And this is the statement that he has, and this is external to the Bible. Um, he says this, but to some of the Jews, the destruction of Herod's army seemed to be divine vengeance, and certainly a just revenge 
for his treatment of John, surnamed the Baptist. For Herod had put him to death, though he was a good man, and had, had exhorted the Jews to lead righteous lives, to practice justice toward their fellows, and piety towards God, and so doing, join in baptism. That's kind of interesting. I've, I've heard that Josephus talked about Jesus. He's got a couple references to Jesus, but also he has this reference to John the Baptist. And, you know, being a prophet and kind of that Old Testament prophet, we find that his words kind of got him in trouble. There was a scandal in Herod's uh, royal uh, family, and that is that Herod actually divorced his wife and then uh, took, his, took and married his brother's wife. And John spoke out about that, and so now he sits in jail. And so as we look at the scene we're about to look, look at, he sits in jail, and as we started off talking about, doubts start to come into his mind because he's sitting here in jail for speaking truth. You know, um, the way these doubts came into John's mind and, and the way he dealt with them, stay with me here, remind me of my first kiss. Yeah. Okay, so my first kiss was in junior high school, and I can't remember her last name. Her first name was Heidi, I believe. And we went, our, our youth group went to Stoutsville uh, Church Camp. This is actually where I met Je Jeanette several years later, you know. So I met Jeanette. But Heidi was my first kiss, you know. And it was just that junior high, you know, first we started holding hands. And, you know, at night, you know, during the service, you know, we would hold hands. And, you know, she's really cute. And, you know, there's, there was a night that our eyes locked. And I had my first kiss you know, and, uh, but then after that, you know, and we had this uh, prayer circle that was every night at this, at this camp, and so you would stand beside the girl that you're kind of attracted to, right, because you knew that they always said, now let's hold hands, you know, and you're like, ah, yeah, giddy up, you know, thank you for that, you know, <laughs> teeing that up for me, right, so, um, so you'd always stand by the person you're kind of, you know, attracted to, and I remember that after we had our first kiss, after that I went to the, the prayer circle, and all of a sudden, she's a gazelle, okay, she's just running away from me, and there, I don't know what it is in junior high girls, there's this herd thing that goes on that they block, you know, guys approaching, and so she had her herd out there, and I was blocked, and so I went to try to be around her at the prayer circle, and she was running away, right? And I knew something was up, right? Something had changed in our relationship, but I didn't know what, what it was. And so you try to think of what to do in this situation. You know, one thing is I could go and talk to her, but, you know, I was kind of being, she was running away. I couldn't go talk to her. And then I, you know, my typical thing is I'd try to be cute or something like that. So I, I would make a checklist where you could check, yes, I still like you, or no, I don't still like, you know, happy face, sad face, right? Keep it simple, right? I could do that. Um, another thing I was thinking I could do is I, I could give her a limerick, right? So this is the limerick that actually, I, I wish I would have had it then. This is what the limerick I feel like I could have 
given her. It's, uh, Heidi, you were my first kiss. It seems at prayer circle you've decided to diss. I can't figure out what this may be about, but I want my bracelets back because now I'm pe- uh, peeved. <laughs> peeved, sorry, church. <laughs> so, you know, I can give a cute... Li- <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> See, I told you you'd laugh today, you know. <laughs> But, so how does this tie on to John? Because another thing you could do, and what I did, is you send a friend, right? You have a buddy. So I had Kevin, and I found, like, I was no longer liked, you know? So I wanted information about the kiss, but that went too far, so. But that's what happened to John. So John is starting to have these doubts in his mind. He's starting to have these doubts because he's in jail, he spoke the truth, and he's saying wait, this is not lining up. I'm the prophet, and I'm saying things that you want. Are you really the Messiah? Because I don't think the Messiah would put me in jail. And so we go to Matthew, and this is recorded uh, in two Gospels, in Matthew and Luke, and they're, they're nearly identical. In Matthew 11, it says this, 11 verse 1 through 6. So this is Matthew Chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. If you've got your Bible with you, you can turn there, or I've got it on the screen here. It says this, um, After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. You know, what I, I love about the Bible, and this, I don't know if like whenever you're um, reading something um, on, the, on the web, you'll see these things in blue, you know, and you hit them, and they're, the, they're called hyperlinks, right? And so you hit that, and then they go, bloop, you know, and they, they take you something else. That's exactly what Jesus was doing here, right? This is a hyperlink to the Old Testament, because back in Isaiah, we see that what is a characteristic of the Messiah, that the deaf and blind will be healed. That's Isaiah 20, 29. And the poor will rejoice and the lame will walk. The mute will be able to speak. He will give good news to the poor. All of those things are this hyperlink that Jesus is saying, look, this is, this is how you know who I am. And so we see that, that John the Baptist was the first doubter, maybe, in Jesus Christ. The first, what you might say, deconstructionalist. Um, if you look at whenever people go down and start questioning faith, there, there's kind of three levels of that. And the first level is, is doubt, that there is some fact about your Christianity, there's some fact about your relationship with Jesus Christ that you start feeling uncertain about, you know, And it starts with a truth, and you start saying, do I really believe? Or, I've lived my life with this belief. Is there something I should change about that? So it starts with doubt. And I would even, you know, and and for me and Heidi, you know, 
it started with she moved to the other side of the prayer prayer circle and I thought okay something has changed and I need to change my belief about our relationship because of that change that I see and so there's a doubt there and I, I personally feel like some doubts are very healthy you know in our relationship sometimes we have to look at what we believe and say you know I've, I've got some other information here you know you've heard a pastor you've read a book you've and you start feeling like you know I've, I've walked this way but I I'm really not sure that, that that's true. I mean, I remember at one time I went to a church that believed that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit were done. I mean, finished. You know, I believed that for a part of my walk. And I still remember whenever I, uh, I taught a Bible study um, at, in college as part of that church, and they had me uh, teach uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I started looking at it as like, you know, we value the word, and I'm seeing different gifts here, you know. I had to take something that I had believed, I had held on to, and said, you know what, I don't think that's really true. So there's doubt. Uh, there's also a popular term now, it's called deconstruction, and Curtis Vanderpool has a uh, book out called uh, Giving Up Sunday, and he, he defines this as a popular term that refers to the practice of revisiting and rethinking long-held beliefs especially in the Christian faith. And, you know, you can look at that uh, as being on the level of things come into your life and just, you know, reconsidering, okay, what, how, how should my beliefs change so that I can make sense of this? And, you know, which may be a very healthy thing, or it can be going to, you know, on the other end, just blowing everything up and um, accepting a lot of things that would, uh, would, really pull you away from Jesus Christ. So it can be at different levels. And then the third uh, level of questioning faith would be deconversion. And there's a book out that um, it's called The Anatomy of Deconversion by John Marriott. Um, if you have people in your life going through this, um, it's really a good resource uh, because what he's done is he's gone. I think a lot of times we as Christians can tell people what they should be <laughs> instead of listening to them. Um, and so what, uh, what uh, Dr. Marriott did is he uh, interviewed 30 people that had deconversion experiences and looked at about 300 stories and really assimilated some common themes as he, he was looking at that. And so deconversion means people at one time identified as believers and were part of religious communities only to renounce those beliefs and their membership in those co communities. And in um, Dr. Marriott's book, he came up with really two uh, kind of overarching reasons, and I would even add a third, that are the causes of these uh, deconversion experiences. And the first was emotional reasons, and that is that um, he lists things that were common, uh, hurt by other Christians, that people had encounters with Christians that were judgmental or hypocrisy, um, or they would amplify the importance of some law over loving grace, um, or else a failure in Christian leadership that people would have looked up to, whether it's a moral failure, integrity, or emotional abuse, or also just encountering life suffering and rethinking um, their faith based on 
how they would uh, go through that suffering experience. And so those were kind of emotional reasons that he, he found in many of these cases. The other thing would be cognitive reasons, and that is that uh, people would wrestle with things uh, in the Bible and start to have problems in the Bible with the authorship or looking at apparent contradictions in the Bible or even the idea of miracles and things that were supernatural or things that look morally offensive um, in the Bible. Um, also that uh, just dealing with science, sometimes uh, these cases were um, looking at evolution and creation and, and trying to look at uh, those two um, aspects of describing uh, where we came from and also uh, just looking some people uh, just got into looking at arguments from atheists and started to believe some of those things that they taught. And so those are kind of go over those cognitive reasons, and he said that was common. And I would add a third to his list, and that is I think there's spiritual reasons that we shouldn't forget. Um, there's a team on the field that 24-7 that they wake up and they say, how can I destroy you as a Christian? 24-7. That's, that's their goal. You know, we see that uh, in 1 Peter 5.8, it says this, uh, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, I think sometimes we forget, we look at this natural world and we consider this real, right? And we consider the spiritual world not real because I can't see it and stuff like that. The spiritual world is real, right? It's as real as the things that I can touch. And if that's the case, then there are, um, you know, uh, the devil and his cohorts out there trying to destroy our witness. And these come against people, I think. And also, I think there's uh, things of the world that just start to become attractive um, arguments that the world has that start to become attractive and more attractive than what the Bible says. Whenever the Bible talks about the world, it, it says, you know, that there are these standards of the age that try to make you look wise. And in Romans 12, that famous verse that talks about tr being transformed by the, the Spirit and our minds being renewed, it says, do not be conformed to this pattern, that there's a pattern that the world tries to get us to be in. So all of these things, I think, are reasons of the why, you know, why people uh, walk, walk away. And I feel like we should be very compassionate that, to people that are going through this. Because uh, as he's interviewed them, he's, he's found that they feel a loss as they're going through this. You know, they may find some freedom in the sense that they don't feel um, like this burden of of some of the things that have been put on them, and I think maybe incorrectly so, that they find freedom from and relief from. But he states that, you know, a lot of those things are things that really aren't from God, but they attribute to God. So the next question I would say, and I think many of us here are kind of on a, another camp, and that is, what do we as brothers and sisters in Christ, what do we do, what can we do to help people out that are going through doubts, deconstruction, deconversion. What can we do? 
And I would, I kind of just, there's a lot of things we could do. I, let me just go through four things and then we'll, we'll finish up here. The, the first one really comes from Marriott's book that he, that he gave an argument from. And so I'll put this argument to that, to you. And he basically said, you know, constrain the essentials. So the things that really make us Christians, he said, and the behaviors and the doctrines that make us Christians, let's constrain those things, okay? Um, let me give you an example from the Bible and then kind of give you uh, the things that he talked about to constrain. So if you look at the early church, and the book that talks about the early church the most is Acts, right? So the church is being formed, and the church is dealing with all these situations that they uh, had coming up. And in Acts chapter 15, you have Paul and Barnabas that kind of come back to the apostles in Jerusalem, and they say, what should we do? Should the Gentiles who are converting to, to Christianity, who believe in Jesus Christ, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, should they obey the laws of Moses? You know, what do we do with this? And I was surprised, you know, and one of those was, you know, circumcision and, and some of the other laws. And when you look at their response, the reasoning was for their response was very interesting. And so that reasoning was given first by Peter. Uh, Peter says in Acts chapter 15, Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. And then as they met, this was what was put in the letter that actually uh, went back um, to answer this question, and this was in this letter. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for gentles, Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest time and is read in the synagogues on every uh, Sabbath. They go on to say that, therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by the word of the mouth what we are writing. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Listen to this phrase, not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements, and they repeat the same things. So there is this idea of burdens that we sometimes place on people. And that's what, uh, when he was talking about that, uh, constraining the essentials, he's saying, you know, let's keep to the essentials of the face. You know, if you look at it, Jesus kind of gave an outline for that for our behavior. You know, in Matthew 22, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. It's a pretty nice global thing for behavior. For doctrine, you know, you, I think you can focus on what Jesus said in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Boy, that's just a, a nice 
based, this is the foundation of my Christian faith. And as we walk it out, it's going to look, I'm going to struggle with different things than you do. You're going to struggle with different things than I do. But that just gives us a nice base uh, of what Christianity is, you know. Uh, the other thing that he said is that we should provide uh, environments to process our, our, our walk. And that is that as Christians, we should be talking about these things, talking about the things, the doubts that come up in your mind, and having a nice environment so that you're not condemned. Or Have you ever said something and then someone tries to fix you? We all don't like that, you know. <laughs> but to give an opportunity for people to to express what they're struggling with so that we can pray, so that we can come alongside them as they're walking through this. The third one is to live our faith with love and integrity. Um, he, had, he had talked about this and, and said, if you're a parent that has seen your child walk away from faith in Jesus Christ, this is probably the most important one in the interviews that he's had from people that have come back. Um, from that point. And so it's basically asking these questions, you know, where do my kids see me making decisions that honor my relationship with Jesus Christ? Do they see me making those kind of decisions? Do they see me putting others before myself? Do they see me whenever I make mistakes, I ask forgiveness? Whenever I sin against someone, that I ask forgiveness? And does my attitude towards other people, lead them to want to follow Jesus. He said, living out our faith with love and integrity is an important thing for people that are going through this doubting and deconstruction process. And then fourthly, it's point to Jesus. And this comes back to uh, really the story of John the Baptist. You know, whenever John the Baptist had this question, he went to the source. He sent his disciples to the source and said, are you the Messiah? And I think that's the question that when people are having those kind of deconstructions, um, those deconstruction doubts, is to ask them, you know, I know that you're dealing with all of these things, all of these issues, but who do you think Jesus Christ is? And it was interesting because um, whenever you start answering that question, you start having some, a really good foundation on answering that question because there was a historical event that happened that Jesus Christ came into this world about 2,000 years ago. He lived, he died, and he defeated death by being raised again. And so there's an, a historical event that points to that. And he gave us this wealth of information to say, this is how to live out your life as kingdom citizens. And so I think whenever we point people to that, you know, let, let's go ahead and talk about all these other issues that you're dealing with. But whenever we bring them back to, the, to starting with that, then we'll find people that as they deconstruct their faith, they do it in a healthy way without just throwing everything away. And then, of course, we also just need to pray for them. We need to pray for our leaders so much that are leading this church and that are leading other churches in the community. There's even a prayer group that's meeting in Muhammad, if you have a passion for that, to pray for our community because there is another team on the field. Let's pray. Um, Father God, um, 
we just want to be people that draw other people to Jesus Christ. Lord, I know that there are so many uh, folks around us that are questioning their faith through the things that they're going through. I just pray that you would help us to lead people through that. Lord, that you would give us the compassion and the love to do that, to lead people through this time. Lord, thank you for this example that you've given us in Scripture of John, who was faithful to the end, to you. And Lord, right now, I am so excited to be able to experience your presence in worship. So I pray right now, as Joel leads us, and as we sing these songs out to you, that you'll accept our worship and that you will fill this place with your presence. In Christ's name, amen. At Life Community Church, we want you to experience the powerful, life-changing love of God. To learn more, go to lifemohammed.org. lifemohammed.org.